0: Let's face it, whether you're hiring or trying to find work today, the process has become tougher than ever. Between ghost listings, AI-powered applicant tracking systems, and job scams, how do you know if your resume or your job posting is even being seen by an actual human? That's why we've relaunched our job board to help you find your next opportunity. And if you're a company that's hiring right now, then we will feature your listing on our job board for 30 days and help spread the word about it to our audience of podcast listeners for just $99. Get started with us and expand your job search or your recruiting efforts today. RevisionPath.com forward slash jobs. You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Revision Path. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm your host, Maurice Cherry. Revision Path is supported by Brevity & Wit. Brevity & Wit is a strategy and design firm committed to designing a more inclusive and equitable world. They are always looking to expand their roster of freelance design consultants in the U.S., particularly brand strategists, copywriters, graphic designers, and web developers. If you know how to deliver excellent creative work reliably and enjoy the autonomy of a virtual-based freelance life with no non-competes, check them out at brevityandwit.com. Brevity and Wit. Creative excellence without the grind. For 10 years, Revision Path has been dedicated to showcasing black designers and creatives from all over the world. In order to keep bringing you the content that you love, we need your support now more than ever. So if you're in a position to help us grow, here's how you can contribute. Visit revisionpath.com forward slash donate and click the donate button there to make a one-time, monthly, or annual donation to help keep Revision Path running strong. Thanks for your support. Now for this week's interview. I'm talking with Vashina Brisbane. Vashina is the Associate Director of Visual Design and Communications at Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church in New York City. She was also recently included on GDUSA's list of people to watch for 2023. Let's start the show. All right, so tell us who you are and what you do.
1: My name is Vashina Brisbane. I am currently the associate director of visual design and communications at Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church. That means I do all things visual and design for the church. People usually ask me, "Well, what, how much could there be for a church?" And typically, a typical church, there's not as much. I would I think as there is for this specific church.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Fifth Avenue is Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church is like the cathedral church of Presbyterianism. So, like St. Patrick's,
2: mm-hmm.
1: is for Catholicism. So, it's a big historical church in Midtown Manhattan. And we do church, like everyone else, Sunday services.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But we also have a large outreach ministry. And we do a lot of work within the community. Nice. And so, yeah, the church basically runs in seasons, right? So, this is our off-season. Summer is the off-season. And fall is homecoming. That's when our senior pastor returns and we start a sermon series and there's a magazine and there's the season of Advent, which is from just after Thanksgiving until just after Christmas. Mm -hmm. And then there's sort of a quiet season and then there's Lent up until Easter. And then there's a season of Pentecost. So we run in like a season. So it's like a loop every year.
0: Oh, nice. I think for people that are, you know, for folks that are listening that even have some experience with like christianity or just i I would say judeo-christian religions there Mm -hmm. is that kind of cyclical nature to to the year that sort of revolves around that
1: right those specific events sure Mm -hmm. and we advertise for every single one of them and so we advertise i mean advertise feels crass for religion i think (laughs) but (laughs) we do get the word out there right and so we do for the fall season, it's a sermon series. And it's just like the topic that the preacher is preaching on for the season. Mm -hmm. And um, he'll pick a subject and we'll provide visuals for it. And so we do banners. We do a spread in the magazine that comes out for the fall, which has the fall events, any happenings. We have a robust music program that has five or five or six concerts throughout the year, some Mm -hmm. free, some paid. So that needs advertising and visuals We do banners on the facade of the church on Fifth Avenue. We do posters to talk about any programming that we have going on throughout the year and to advertise the season. We also do brochures. And then there's, you know, just all the regular stuff. Like on the sun,
0: on every Sunday, we print a bulletin. That's, that's some of the more day-to-day stuff. So there's a lot. I mean, there's a lot that goes into, I think, especially a (laughs) church of that size. It's not just, you know, regular sunday service there's a lot of media there's prints i mean Mm -hmm. there's a lot
1: there's a lot and we have a um an arts in our faith group they do gallery exhibits big ones probably twice a year maybe three times a year Mm -hmm. we sometimes partner with artists and sometimes it's something that the committee comes up with the committee is made up of um congregation members and they come up with it and sometimes it's a collaboration sometimes i'm i'm brought in to sort of make the vision that they're thinking of come to life. And sometimes we collaborate on a vision. So it really just depends on the season and what people are thinking and what ideas they have. And sometimes they don't have any ideas. And so we (laughs) cover something up. So, you know, we have a little small gallery that we do our exhibits in. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they have to do with the sermon. Like this past season, we did our senior pastor did a series called Tattoo. And Mm -hmm. so it was about the words of Christianity that are tattooed on your heart. And so we did an exhibit based on that where I made some temporary tattoos, tattooed them on the staff <laughs> on various body parts, and photographed them. And we did then we made that into an exhibit. And so, you know, it really just depends. So when people say like, what is there to do? And I'm like, you know, you have no <laughs> you have no <laughs> idea. There's a there's a lot of things you can do in a church, especially a church of this size, I
0: think. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it's fascinating that It sounds like there's probably, even with the regular cyclical nature, like you said, of different holidays and different things in the church, Mm -hmm. there's just so much to do. And I would imagine, you know, you're kind of in a way working, I guess, against stereotype, I think, because you don't Mm -hmm. want the, I mean, you want the messaging, of course, to appeal to the congregation, but you also want it to appeal to other members and, or even non-members. But like, there's probably a, a way that you have to do it so it doesn't seem so, I don't know if what's a good Uh way to sort of describe this. I want to say cheesy, for lack of a better word. Like, I feel like sometimes Christian marketing can be really, like, wholesome. Like, very white bread and 1% milk kind of like. You know what I mean?
1: Right. And so, that's you do struggle with that a lot as a designer, right? I struggle with that. Because, you know, you want to be seen as, like, a legitimate designer, right? Like, I I think, you know, I went to school for this. I'm not, I didn't stumble into it. Right. I might have stumbled into this specific job, but I didn't stumble into the career of design. So I've attended conferences like I'm I'm sure you have. We could be having an amazing design conversation. And then when they're like, oh, so, you know, where do you work? And then I'm like, oh, I work at Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church. And then Uh the conversation sort of just dies. (laughs) Oh, "Oh, okay. It's not seen as valid to like maybe designers that are working in a design firm Mm -hmm. or maybe in-house, you know, a big in-house shop. So that's something that I've struggled with, I think. And I think what I've learned is that I can't focus on what you think about what I'm doing. I have to focus on (laughs) why I do what I do and Mm -hmm. then just let my work speak for itself. That's all I can do. And so when those things happen, I don't take it personal so much. I just move on to the next.
0: Yeah. I can see that. I mean, you know, we talked about this a little bit before I started recording, but like when I first started out as a designer, and I think probably as others have as well, you know, you're trying to find clients. And sometimes some of those first clients that you end up finding are churches because they don't necessarily have Mm -hmm. design talent in-house or something, but someone's got to, you know, design the regular Sunday service programs or they need Mm -hmm. to design funeral announcements or things Mm -hmm. like that. And often what I've heard and even have experienced to some degree is that mm-hmm. they've largely kind of been negative experiences because mm-hmm. the church doesn't want to pay. And then when the church doesn't want to pay, they try to make it seem like you should just be doing it out of the good of your heart for God. <laughs> and it's like, well, I can't pay my bills with that. So, with that? <laughs> you know, like there's this this um, sort of negative yeah. stigma around. It's
1: like it. a stigma. Yeah. So I have not had that experience at this church, but I have heard that. Mm-hmm. from other designers. And so for smaller churches, there is no budget for design, which I get. Everyone doesn't have a budget for design. And so if you're going to do those jobs, I think what you're doing it for is the love of the work and and the practice of it, right? Because these are not easy pieces to design. Like a Sunday Bulletin is uh, is a... <laughs> It's like a master class in hierarchy.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So if you're going to do this, you have to, come, you have to come to it, especially if you're going to do it and be underpaid or not paid at all. You have to come to it thinking that you're going to get something else in pay. Right. So your pay is your practice. Your pay is your ref- the refinement of your, your type skills. Because mm-hmm. if you want to learn type skills, do a Sunday bulletin every week. <laughs> and and make it readable and make it pleasant and you know make it great right yeah and so one of the things I that was my first project really to do with this with the church I was hired freelance and I was just looking for a bridge job sort of between I had finished up an internship at a design firm and then I was like well what am I going to do? And I was like, okay, well, I'll go on this interview with a church. And I was just like, like everyone else, like, ah, it's a church. It'll just be something until I get a real job. And so I found this church and they came in. It was a good, positive vibe. And they were like, okay, you're going to do Sunday bulletins. I was like, oh, that's fine. I'll do that. And so that's how my work with them started. It started on a freelance basis. I was only doing bulletins. Then the person that hired me ended up leaving. And they hired a new director of communications, and he asked me to do something else. He was like, oh, can you do this brochure? Mm -hmm. And I said, sure. And then that worked out. And so it sort of just grew into something. It was not something that I had intended on. I didn't intend on staying, to be
0: honest. Mm -hmm. And now you've you've been there now for like, what, almost a little over 13 years now.
1: I feel like, yeah, I think I started in 2012, To be honest, I have to check the dates, <laughs> uh, but it's, it's been a long time and it was, it's been a progression, right? So I started a freelance uh-huh. project based 1099. Then I started, I worked really well with the director of communications who is, who actually, he just retired. Uh-huh. And so we worked really well together and our, and as each project came up, we just worked well together and the projects kept getting better and they kept getting they were more interesting. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, okay, well, I'll do this project. And then it was like, we do this newsletter. It was a newsletter, like an eight page, eight eight and a half by 11 newsletter. That wasn't my favorite thing to do. But then we decided, okay, let's own it. We're going to change it. We turned it into a magazine. We turned it turned into a small, you know, eight and a half by five and a half pocket sort of magazine, sort of like Jet size. I mean, I think Jet might be a little bit bigger.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, I like that just size, if, I think.
1: Yeah, if if any of your listeners know know Jet magazine, <laughs> oh they know they know what Jet dating is. Dating me, <laughs> <laughs> dating a little
2: bit.
1: Yeah, and so we sort of just evolved the communications of the church to the point where people call and ask us like, where do you get your Sunday bulletin done? And I'm like, well, it's in house. We do it all in house. So I think to back all the way back to the beginning of the question, which is, have I had that experience? It's the, the answer is yes. But if you come. To the table from a place of I'm going to get this experience and I'm going to better my craft through it, then you don't lose. Yes, you have to find other things to pay the bills, mm-hmm. but if you can perfect something while also getting some experience, even if the experience is not doesn't come with pay, I think you still win.
0: Right. I get you don't
1: that. Stay, yeah, you know, I don't think you have to stay there forever. Mm-hmm. But if you prove yourself and you've perfected, and they still don't want to pay you, then you can you know politely decline.
0: Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And look, being somewhere for as long as you have, like I said, a little over 13 Mm -hmm. years, Mm -hmm. that is impressive for any designer to be somewhere, especially in this modern age of design. If you're somewhere for like five years, that's great. But 13 years, that is (laughs) amazing, which to me is no surprise because you were named one of GDUSA's 2023 people (laughs) to watch. Ah, Thank
1: you. That was surprising to me. So I'm 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 still shocked that it happened. So to be honest, I've kind of just been like putting my head down, feet mm-hmm. to the pavement, moving from project to project, trying to do my best work. In I think 2016, 2017, we got this magazine and my boss, my my old boss, he said he was pointing out all these different winners in in the GDUSA USA magazine. And he was like, You could say you should enter this. You he said you could win these. And I was mm-hmm. like, yeah, I was like, yeah, OK. And so he was like, let's, let's, let's just do it. And so we entered some pieces and I ended up the first year. I think it was 2017. I'm, I ended up winning three awards. And so, you know, I was like, oh, I think that after about five years of like you sort of just head down doing good work, in my opinion, you know, not like getting it judged anywhere. But like, you know, I'm proud of what I've done here. And so it's just like, it's been like five years of that. And then to see like someone say, hey, this is exceptional. Now that was really heartening. And I think that I feel like that's when I said, okay, this is like a career. I don't think in the beginning of people's career, at least not for me, you don't feel like, oh, like this is it. This is my career. Like Mm -hmm. some people are polished right out of college. That was not me. And so I didn't feel as if I had a career. I feel like until that happened, I knew I was working. I knew That, you know, I could get a job somewhere. I knew I could design, but I didn't, I didn't feel like I had a career, I don't think, until that happened. And I don't think it was the acknowledgement. I just think not, that was the wrong thing to say. I don't think it was the fact that I won something, Mm -hmm. but it was the fact that people agreed that I was doing good work.
0: Yeah. I mean, that kind of validation is incredibly important. I mean, it's honestly it's one of the like core tenants behind why i do revision path is to like validate the fact that there are black designers out there doing great work and that people actually want to talk with them about it and about their career and it's not you know in the context of a job interview it's like no we see you we see the Mm -hmm. work that you're doing and we think that other people should see it too like just getting that kind of validation Mm -hmm. is and and this is going to sound corny but like i learned that (laughs) from oprah um (laughs)
1: As as I asked you, look, Oprah is, I don't think anything Oprah says is
0: corny. I mean, but like, you know, like I asked you before the interview and people who have been on the show know this too. Like I always ask something that I call my Oprah question. And I got that from her because she has said before, like Mm -hmm. the thing that has made people want to sort of come to her show and come to the mic and everything is the fact that she validates Wherever they're at right now, like Oprah doesn't really do well, maybe now since she doesn't have the show, but like Oprah's not really doing like shock journalism. You know what I mean? Like she's not bringing people on to necessarily expose. She's like just giving you the mic Mm -hmm. and giving you a platform to talk. That's it. You know, about
1: and just be you.
0: Yeah. But that kind of validation in your professional career is super important, especially when you know you've put in the work Mm
1: -hmm. to know
0: that other people see that too. And they see you and they see the fact that you're putting out this kind of great work. I mean, that's, I think that's what we all want, especially as creative people.
1: Yeah. And I don't think I even knew how important it was until it happened. Yeah. And sometimes you don't, because sometimes you just got your head down, you're just doing, you're just working, right? You're just getting up every day, going to work, working, going home. Like it's, it mm-hmm, becomes mm-hmm. a real like practice. And sometimes in that practice, you can get real, like, just, I want to say, that. yeah, yeah, you do because you don't, it's just something. once you do something, it's, it's so repetitive. I mean, the work changes, but, you know, the process is still the same, right? Mm-hmm. You get up, you do it, you do your best, you go to bed, you know? And so that can get, you, you can become numb. And so when you step outside that, and then for me, especially to be like, it's hard for me to say, hey, I think this is great work to people. You know what I mean?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It's hard for me to pat myself on my back. That's not. For some people, it comes easy, like for my daughter, it comes easy for her. Mm-hmm. She thinks she's great at everything. And I <laughs> and I, I love that about her. <laughs> we just don't come from the same, we're not cut from the same cloth. Mm-hmm. To even do that felt weird. And so I would encourage people to, one, enter a contest just for this, just so that you can get a little bit of validation. Because you don't have to win to get validation. But I just think the simple process of editing your work and figuring out what you love and and telling people I did this and I love it. it mm-hmm. is a great practice for people.
0: Well, what's been the reception for you since the the list came out and people have seen you on that?
1: The reception has been good. Like the congregation, you know, they they congratulate me. They're some of my biggest supporters, which I really appreciate. I've gotten you know friends and family. I I thanked GD USA online and on their um social and um, via social media. And so I've gotten a lot of like follows on mainly on, I think on LinkedIn for that and that's about it. I don't think anything major has come about because mm-hmm. of it, but you know, you know you never know. Right. Like I mean your email came from it. Like I never would have <laughs> thought. Like I'm like I never I never would have thought that you would here I am listening to great designers on Revision Path and Maurice Cherry is emailing me. Like, I never would have thought that that would happen. (laughs) That was, (laughs) it was so wild when it happened. I couldn't even believe it. I was just like, what? This has got to be a joke. (laughs) I was like, I could not believe it. It was, it was shocking. I even sent it to my boss. I was like, is this real? (laughs) Oh my goodness. He was like, he was like, I think it is. I said, Are you sure? I was like, are you sure? I couldn't, I could not believe it. So the biggest thing to happen to me since then is you. So that, oh, well, (laughs) you're at the top, you're at the top of the list. So,
0: (laughs) well, I'm, I'm pretty sure that there are going to be bigger and better things after that. I mean, you know, winning, I think one winning awards, but then two also being on lists like this, it just puts you Mm -hmm. in the view of other people to see the work that you've done, you know?
1: Right. And, you know, you don't, you know, it's important to be in the view, but like, how do you get there? Like, I feel like we go to school to learn our craft and to do our thing, but we don't learn how to navigate a career. And that's different. That's different than just doing good work. Like, you have to really know, like you said, who to get in front of and, like, how do you get there? And I think that a lot of, like you were saying, what Revision Path does is put you in front of the people that need to see, I think. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what's amazing about this platform is that you can get some visibility and... Whereas you might not be able to be on the other design podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you know it, cause usually it's like, you know, real rock stars. Not that people on here are not rock stars. Please don't, don't think that, but there is a specific lane that is harder to get. It's hard to get in as a black designer.
0: Mm-hmm. Look, I can tell you from, from 10 years of doing this show, I mean, <laughs> I mean, one, like I've had a lot of people on who they've said like, yeah, this is, the first time anyone has ever talked to me like about my work outside of, you know, maybe like a job interview, like their family doesn't even ask them about what they Mm. do and how they get inspired. So like, I'm glad to be able to have the platform for that, but you know, and this is not to, to put down any other show in particular, but you know, even when I was starting out doing the show and trying to network in the sort of, I, I guess you could say design podcast community. I don't know if it really existed like 10 years ago, but there were other design podcasts out there. And even with me, networking with them to let them know about the show and maybe give some ideas for guests. I was met either with like complete silence or absolute hatred. There was only one platform, one podcast that really was like, at that time, that was like, oh, we we like what you're doing. We'd love to have you on our show. And that was the show called On the Grid that was with this podcast network called Five by Five. And there were three guys that did the show. It was Dan Hour. Matt McInerney and Andy Mangold. And I was on their show twice. It was like a panel kind of interview thing. And Mm -hmm. that ended up sort of getting me into the the view of other people because they were like, oh, we didn't know that black people did design, let alone talked about it. You know, and it's like (laughs) like we haven't already been in this industry for decades doing this work, but even just that one sort of opportunity to do that put me in the vein where I could like be seen by all these, these other people. But, you know, even now, you know, honestly, 10 years out, and there's, you know, of course, other podcasts out there. And there's even other black design podcasts out there. It's still kind of rare, even from some of the larger shows to really hear or see from black creative voices. And, you know, what I'm saying this for design media, but like, black media does that too. Like black media is not really yeah. big on showcasing design outside of fashion i would say like you may hear about a fine artist every now and then but it often has to be in conjunction with something larger like for example luna iris victor i think i'm getting her name i think it's either luna iris victor or luna victor iris but she did a, a, a lot of great work in conjunction with marvel for the first black panther movie but like she had been an artist of her own acclaim well before then it didn't really start to get out into the community, the black community, at least until that movie happened. So it's something where even like, you know, black media doesn't necessarily look at us and the work that we do and sort of give any sort of celebration in that respect. So I think revision path kind of occupies a, a interesting sort of Venn diagram intersection between like design media and black media in that way to at least showcase like, Hey, this is work that we're doing here are our stories in our own words, you know, here you go. This is what we have to go through. This is what we deal with. And I try to get a good cross section from like across the world. Like it's not just,
1: you've done a great job doing that. Thank you. It's amazing. The amount of artists, like, I feel like, like you said, (laughs) are people looking, you have to look and you have to talk to people. And it's like Mm -hmm. when your head's down and your pounds on the ground and you're getting your work done, it's like you look up and you're like, we are all my people.
2: hmm hmm
1: It's like, well, I don't even know where to start. Yeah. And, you you know, you've given us an amazing, valid place to start. So, if you're looking, look no further. Or look, look no further. And then look further, right? Because then at least you can Oh, tap I like into that. It. Yeah. At least you can <laughs> tap into it. Because, like, even like, attending, like, because I'm, you know, I'm constantly trying and failing to expand my network. Because, one, I'm not a good networker. I don't have the gift of gab. My husband has that, though. Mm-hmm. He definitely has to give the gab. Can make friends anywhere, and I am more reserved in that I am not like a I'm not a wallflower because I can engage when it, at, in any event, right? Mm-hmm. But also, I'm a little bit of an extroverted introvert. Is, I think is what they call me. Okay, it's like I am extroverted when called upon, but I do need that introverted time to like recharge and yeah. become an extrovert. And so it, it's been challenging to expand. My network, especially going to conferences. And in the conferences, it's often, you know, a sea of white, which is fine. But I also want to connect with other people.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And it's often hard to find. Or when you find them, I don't know how to say this diplomatically. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying, I'm going to try to say this as diplomatically as possible. But usually people are concerned with their status in that circle.
2: Mm hmm.
1: And Mm -hmm. that status is often tokenism. Yeah. Which is not, I get it. Don't get me wrong. I get it. I just am resolved not to subscribe. (laughs) (laughs) And so, you know, a lot of times people feel like we can't talk because you might become the one. Mm -hmm. But they don't know that I don't even want to be the one. Right. I just want to talk to you and learn. Yeah that's where i come from i'm just i am a lover of knowledge and a sharer of knowledge ask me anything you
0: want i will tell you
1: <laughs> exactly what my experience is that's mm-hmm. all i can give you. what this is my experience and this is where i come from
0: look in, in the early days of doing this show when i tell you it was like pulling teeth <laughs> to get guests because when we first started it was just an online magazine like i mm-hmm. was, I would interview people i wasn't recording anything and I started recording in June of 2013 when Raquel Rodriguez, who was episode one, when she was visiting from Chicago and was like, yeah, I want to be on the show. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what show? It's just a, a, a magazine. She's like, oh, no, we could record it. And I didn't have any recording equipment. All I had was my uh-huh. phone, which is what we recorded right. it on. And it wasn't until like almost a full year later in March of 2014 when I then sort of took the few recorded interviews I had done. And mm-hmm. said, Oh, let me just make this a podcast because it was just easier to sort of get out week by week. But there were a mm-hmm. lot of people in those early days that were like, absolutely not. I don't want to be on this. Why do you mm-hmm. want to talk to me? This is like BET, which I, which kind of <laughs> felt a bit like a slap in the face. Like I understood what they were saying. Yeah. Yes. But it was in, in such a derogatory way where it's like, well, I'm not denigrating anyone by having you come on and talk. Like, why do you think? Why do you think it's a bad thing that me as a black media outlet wants to talk to you as Mm -hmm. a black person? I think part of that might also just be behind, you know, some other black media outlets that don't make us look great. Mm -hmm. Like I'm not naming any names in particular, but some of them kind of pedal. They pedal in, you know, some mess. And that unfortunately gets unfairly sort of branded for the rest of us that aren't doing that kind of stuff. And yeah, in those early days, it was like a lot of people have said no, which have then come back later and been like, "Oh, can I come on the show?" And I'm like, "Absolutely not, like, <laughs> no." No, really? Did you not let the water do that? Like, no. Like, I reserve the right to to not have and you on you the show what? if you if you felt like for some reason this was negative against you. Then, like, yeah, we're we're not gonna. Do, there's one. I'm not gonna name this person, but. <laughs> There was one designer in particular. Uh Let's just say that when I reached out to them, this was a mixed race designer. When I reached out to them, they very much were like, I don't want to do this. I don't really consider myself like culturally black. I don't want to do it. And I was like, okay, fine.
2: Yeah. Fast
0: forward to, I want to say like the summer of 2020. Oh, wow. When, you know, murder of George Floyd protests around this stuff. This same designer was very much like pro- black mm. lives matter and i'm like look i'm not saying that events can't happen in people's lives that change right. them i right. get that i just thought it was really weird that this particular designer was very much like yeah i'm like i'm not really black and i'm like you have a a very black name and you present phenotypically as mm-hmm. a black person but now that this sort of thing has happened that sort of i guess shifted you into your own sense of blackness Right. It was very odd, and then they asked to come on the show, and I said no. I was uh, like, "No, I don't. I don't think that's going to be a good look for me at this point. Like, it's not yeah. you. It's I don't think for the show this is gonna work out. Yeah, Props well, to them, it feels, but it was very it feels, weird.
1: I think I would think it would feel less than genuine.
0: Oh yeah, it absolutely did.
1: <laughs> yeah, I get it. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. I agree, you know? And I get that like stigma, right? Like, it's mm-hmm. like, okay, this is, is this a black thing? Is this going to be, am I only going to be able to do black things? The people that say that are not realizing that you, okay, that may happen. I doubt it. It may happen. But also, are you not pigeonholing yourself into something else that yeah. is not genuine? Yeah. And if you are going to be stereotyped, shouldn't it be as black? I just feel like it's a hard road we walk sometimes. Yeah, with trying to balance being legit with being
0: culturally legit. It's complicated. I will one hundred percent copy that. It's complicated,
1: and so sometimes when people feel complicated, they just go to what's easiest. Mm-hmm. Let me just go with the flow, right? Yeah, we we are not afforded sometimes. A lot of times the opportunity to just go with the
0: flow. No, that's true. That's very true. I want to bring it back to to your work at the church because I there's just some things that I'm really interested in. So you mentioned that like a lot of the work is pretty much all the work done that you do with the church in house, or do you work with an agency or with freelancers? Because you said you started out freelance.
1: Yeah, no, it's all in-house. Oh wow. it's all in house. It's just me and my direct report, which is the director of communications he does the writing and editing and sort of like this tells the story and I'm involved with the visuals. Wow. So I'm producing everything. I'm sending everything to print. I'm sort of crafting the visual of everything. Mm -hmm. And so that's sort of how we work. We get like, we are the communications department and we're a two person team and I handle all design and production and he handles all story, editing, press, and stuff like that. And we come together when it's time to like, okay, we have this story we need to tell and we need visuals for it. We need materials for it. We need digital stuff for it, digital assets. And so we do work with web developers that are that we contract with. Mm. But that's really the extent of our outside work. And, you know, in print houses. But there's no, I am the designer. That's It's just me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> One, It's a one-woman show. And, you know, we try to make it work. Well, that. I mean,
0: you you're definitely making it work. I mean, that's again, yeah. you've been there for as long as you have and just the breadth mm-hmm. of work that you described earlier, I think mm-hmm. definitely speaks to your your prowess as yeah. a designer to be able to navigate between the different types of design that you have to kind of work on.
1: Yeah, and so a lot of our work is for the senior pastor And he's, you know, shaping the vision of the church. And so, a lot of the stuff we do is specifically from him. And sometimes he comes with, like, okay, I saw this. One of my favorite projects is he saw this illuminated manuscript letter. Mm -hmm. And he's like, yeah, I'm thinking of the sermon series. And I saw this. It's like an an O. It was like a golden O. It was like a lot of flowery elements around it. And, you know, he was like, what can you do with it? That turned into a brochure and banners and posters. And I actually won um, an award for that. And so... Sometimes he comes with a little, something little. Sometimes it's nothing. Like, this is the theme. Mm-hmm. We, co- we come back, workshop it, and then come back to him and present him with a draft. And it's a yay or nay. Usually it's a nay. I mean, usually it's a yay. Once in a blue, it's a nay. You know? And so that's sort of how we work. It's, there's no, like, we are the team. It's just us two. Mm-hmm. Some of the projects are self-driven. We've done history exhibits because we have a, a pretty robust archive from the church, and so we've done a history exhibit where we've done a timeline of the church from 1808 up until the present, and so uh, that was more something that I drove because I was interested in it. We have an archivist, and so, you know, it seemed a shame that this stuff wasn't accessible or visible to the church. So I was like, we should do a history exhibit, and so we did one. And currently, we're working on doing, transforming a larger space in the church into a sort of a permanent historical exhibit. So we're visiting other churches that have archives as well and see what and and seeing what they're doing to exhibit their historical stuff Mm -hmm. and if they're doing anything so i'm not sure if that answered your question
0: no it it did and and, you know we'll link to your website in the Mm -hmm. show notes because i really want people to see the breadth of the work that you've done and like the references even that you're bringing into it like i'm looking at this one campaign oh not a campaign but it's for a sermon series called this is war and You're like, oh, you're, yeah. you're pulling details from like Picasso to put yeah. all this together, so it's not just put a cross here, put a dove there, and it's done. Like, you're, it's you're done right, it's, it's yeah. real design work going into it,
1: yeah. And so, you know, our pastor he loves you know fine art, and so a lot of times he comes to us with pieces and he's like, Oh, I just love this piece, and he just gives me a JPEG and he's, he's oh, like, nice, you know, he's like, Okay, well, I love this piece, and I'm like, Okay, well, how can we make this interesting? How, how can we make this? Mm-hmm. a thing and all he really wanted was postcard and i was like no we need to do it's such a beautiful piece and it's very long and i was like i can't pick one section of this to do one little postcard i was like we have to do three postcards with different parts of the image on each and so that's what we did and each postcard had a different part of the image with a different color of um with uh, the words this is Warren." i guess you're right now mm-hmm. and on the back they i think the messages were slightly different i feel like Working in a church is, and working specifically in this environment is like, there are a lot of restrictions, right? You have budgetary restrictions, right? We don't have a lot of money to spend on this because mm-hmm. this is not a, a firm, right? We're not spending all the money on design, right? So we have to make whatever we do impactful, but it also has to be cheap. <laughs> and so, because we're spending our money outreaching to, to the community, that's like, that's what we're doing. We're mm-hmm. spending our money furthering the word of the church and of, presbyterianism and of God. So, yes, the design has to be good, right? But it also has to make sense to the congregation. You can't come in with this shiny new thing that costs so much money, so much yeah. so many dollars.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> and you know, because people are donating this money. This is money that people have said, we're going to give to you to further the kingdom of God, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Not to make shiny things. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so, doing it in that way when we did the sermon because the sermon series I think it was only 3 weeks if I'm not mistaken. And so it's like, he wanted something to be impactful, but also how do we do it on a budget? And Mm -hmm. also we have our Lent season coming up right after this, where we do spend a little bit more money. And so those usually are the more fun project, the smaller projects, like how can we make this small thing impactful and exciting and interesting and make people that are walking on the streets? Cause it's really, it's a tourist church too. Like people are in the city visiting across the street is this, is the peninsula and the St. Regis, you know, major hotels, and so, if people are here on a Sunday, you want to make it impactful for them to maybe want to come to service. Maybe they want to stop in. So you know, those are the things I think that are they're most exciting to do,, mm-hmm. yeah, the small little one-off things in addition to the you know the regularly scheduled seasonal stuff
0: I mean, I would imagine, like even just with what you just mentioned around like financial considerations because people are donating to the church to keep it as a community institution, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, like, I'm sure there's other considerations that you have to keep in mind, like, you know, of course, theological and cultural sensitivity, mm-hmm. inclusivity, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. tone and voice. You're like, there are a lot of things that you have to put into the design mm-hmm. that designers say maybe for, like, a software company or an advertising agency don't have to consider.
1: That's true. And I'm always thinking, like, how can I make this a Pepsi thing? But keep it church, <laughs> right i'm always <laughs> I'm always trying to figure out, like, okay, yes, this is church, but how can we make it exciting? So that one, it's interesting for me to do, like I want to make my work exciting. Mm-hmm. And two, it gives people pause, like, oh, I might walk in there because I see this. Oh, you know, that's you know that's a cool this or that's a cool that. My goal is always to like generate interest mm-hmm. in church by making church things not so churchy, so that it appeals to the audience that we have, but also people that might be walking by that are not yeah, necessarily religious or not looking to <laughs> looking to attend on Sunday. But because maybe because they saw this poster or these banners, maybe they will. Right. Or maybe because they saw this magazine, they will.
0: Yeah. Like it, it draws you in. And I think, you know, <laughs> with designers being problem solvers, this is like such a really unique problem to try to solve. Like with every design that you have to do. Yes, it has to. Appeal to the congregation, but then also, Mm -hmm. how do you make it "quote unquote" design?
1: Right, because you can't just appeal to the congregation, or else it won't grow. Right, Mm -hmm. you have to you have to appeal to people outside to bring them inside. Sometimes that's a a hard sort of walk, a hard tightrope to walk, because you don't want to go too far where you border where you get to where it's not respectful of the institution, but also you want to make it so bland that no one is interested. Mm -hmm. so you have to sort of walk that tightrope but i like to err on the side of go wild and then (laughs) like a let them rain me back in Mm
0: -hmm. right
1: and so we can sort of pick and choose elements that are exciting and figure out how to strike the right balance
0: yeah now we've spent a lot of time talking about your work i want to kind of pivot this uh this conversation to learn more about you as a person like you're originally from new york you You know, grew up in New York City. Tell me about that. Like, were you exposed to a lot of, like, art and design growing up?
1: Not particularly. I'm from Staten Island, New York. I grew up in the neighborhood of Mariners Harbor on Staten Island. And my mom, she worked for the department. She works, still, works for the Department of Transportation. And she was a single mom. And, you know, we went to school. We came home. I didn't have any emphasis on the arts. I just was always interested in it. I was always interested in architecture and fashion as well. Mm-hmm. And when I I had planned to be an architect, to be honest. <laughs> and so I started my time at the City University of New York, CUNY. I started my time in the architecture program. And that year was transformative for me because I figured out that when I had to take a photography class as part of I took I had you know you have to take electives. And so I said, all right, I'm doing all this technical work. Let me do something, you know, that's less technical. I said, I'll take a photography class as one of my electives. Mm-hmm. And I took it. And I just fell in love with it. I was just like, I need to be doing design. Mm. And so I switched my major. My mom was not happy. But <laughs> <laughs> I did it. <laughs> and, and honestly, I was failing physics anyway. I was not a good physics student Mm -hmm. and so I switched to design and I didn't i never looked back that's it I was born in San Diego my mom was in the Navy and so was uh, my dad and so they were in San Diego when I was born and then eventually they split and then my mom came back to New York because she's from originally Staten Island as well Mm -hmm. so yeah I've been here my whole life
0: now while you were at City College of New York you had started something there called the Electronic design and media club Uh um, electronic
1: design and multimedia club yep.
0: multimedia club did that come about sort of after you switched over from architecture
1: yeah uh so after I switched from architecture I believe it was Ina Saltz or Annette Weintraub which I'm not sure if you know those names or not but they're pretty big in design they asked me to start the club and I did and and we ran it for, while I was there and it was just like, you know, we'd meet, we talk about design, we'd, you know, critique our work, and just it was just a way for us to network. Because when you go to a, com- it's you know, because CUNY is like a commuter school. No one lives there, so it's hard to generate community because you're not sort of forced in a space together all the time. You mm-hmm. sort of come, you do your classes, and then you go home. And so it was a way for us to foster community there. And I enjoyed it.
0: So it sounds like even with just that little... I mean not that little but like even start, starting that club <laughs> that uh-huh. kind of was your budding interest in sort of design and how that could possibly be something more than just like a hobby.
1: Mhm. Yeah, for sure. When I started doing it I was just like like the first year I mean I loved the idea of design but I just was I had no idea like I wasn't one of these kids who like went to school for like I I didn't apply to be a designer right like or mm-hmm. I didn't submit a portfolio or anything like that. And so I sort of transferred over into it. So I had to learn the basics in college, whereas some of these kids like knew they wanted to do it from the beginning. Yeah. And so that was hard for me because I'd never been like an average student. I was I'd always been an above average student. So for me, it was struggling with not having a formula to be good.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: You know, so I just had to like really learn the ropes and just like be like, okay, I'm just gonna have to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. Gotcha. And it was. It was uncomfortable for a while. And then I began, I don't want to say I got good because I don't <laughs> think I was good when I was in college. But, you know, I did some internships. I interned with InStyle Magazine, which was, like, huge for me. Mm. I interned at Smart Money Magazine when that was a thing it was years ago. That was a big deal. And it also helped me decide how I wanted to work in design. Because once I worked at InStyle Magazine, I was like, I don't want to do magazines. Mm. Because the experience was just so micro. Everyone has their small little part to play in the magazine. Mm-hmm. It felt like in order to have any creative sort of agency, you would have to rise so far and be so far in your career. I just couldn't understand how you could be happy until you got to be the design director and you could do the main spreads of the, ba- of the layout. Interesting. Because that's, that's the only person that was doing those. Yeah. You know, that helped me understand, like, okay, magazine is probably not going to be your way. Then I worked at Smart Money magazine and it was a lot smaller. And they let me, like, dig into their files, redo some of their layouts. Like, it was just a different experience. So, those two opposite experiences helped me decide to go small. Mm. Like, I never wanted to go big after that because I was like, big is is too restricting. Yeah. And it's not, you don't get a lot of freedom once things are established. And I think that's what's exciting about doing. Nonprofit work in general and and church work is that you're sort of writing the rules as you go Like Mm -hmm. yes, there are some guidelines obviously you have to work within some some things But you you really whatever it turns out to be is up to you And so that was that I didn't know that then looking back now. I can say that uh but I knew I knew I didn't want to go big when I was younger I didn't know exactly what I wanted, but I knew it couldn't be big or else I wouldn't be satisfied
0: mm Now, one of your early career experiences after you graduated, you worked for the Anthology of Recorded Music. Tell me about that.
1: New World Records. It's a nonprofit record company. Oh, my gosh. So many years ago. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And so I got that job, I think, like right out of college. And what I did was I, if I'm remembering correctly, I scanned like album covers helped make like little press releases for their work and they had they also had there was there were records where they would showcase like sort of electronic and I'm having a hard time describing the music because it's not typical it's not your typical recordings. Mm-hmm. But they also had a nonprofit branch that they distributed this music to music schools, music programs across the country, like at colleges. Okay. And that was called DRAM. And Please don't ask me what DRAM stands for now because I can't remember. (laughs) But I sort of made the look and feel for that website and for their website and just like getting all their content up and online. And so that was like my first first job outside of of college. Mm. It was very production heavy. There was not a ton of design. There's a little bit, a little bit of design, but mostly production. And so that's what I did there. And so that, I think, I, I don't remember when I left that, but after I left there, I freelanced for a while. And then I did an internship with a design firm. I don't remember the name of the firm now, but I think about it. That was my early career. It was my first job. And it was, I learned how to work, like, in an office. Mm -hmm. in that job, which, you know, they don't teach you that in school. Like, you know how to design. It's like, but how do you design in an office when you have all this other stuff to do all day? And so that was my first experience of designing for work and learning that you're not going to be doing design all day long. You have many other things that you have to do in in addition to your design, especially when you're and you're the only one. And I feel like in every single job that I've had, it's been just me, Mm. right? the lone sort of designer or production artist or you know, I think my title was officially production artist at that job. And so, you know, it was um it was eye opening and it was nonprofit and it was small. And I enjoyed parts of it, Mm -hmm. the parts that had to do with design and sort of production and figuring out the back end of websites and because websites were not new, but they were still, they weren't as advanced as they are now, right? But there was still a lot to learn, especially right out of school.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So I enjoyed that. I enjoyed that process.
0: So you were working for this nonprofit, then later you ended up working for the church. I'm curious, prior to that, and I think we might have touched on this a little bit earlier, but did you have any skepticism about doing work for a church?
1: Yes. So this specific church, this specific job came up on, <laughs> believe it or not, monster.com. I had a resume on monster.com, which oh. I don't even know that still exists I have no idea um, <laughs> but yeah they just called me off the the current director of communications called me and was like hey we'd like you to come in for an interview I went in with the idea like oh this is great I'll have something to do I'll be able to make some money until I get a real job that was my exact words mm. to my, and so I went in the interview was fine they, they said okay well we're gonna you know contract you on a freelance basis and I said great I was doing bulletins then my work was do the weekly bulletin. And that was it at first. So it was, I would go on site one day a week, I think maybe. We'd sort the bulletin out, get it done. I'd send it in and that'd be it. And then probably two or three months after I started, the director of communications left. So they had an interim and they needed help doing the magazine. So I said, well, magazine, they needed help doing the newsletter. It was an eight and a half by 11, eight pager, I think. So two sheets. We started doing that. It looked awful, but I was just there to maintain until the new director of communications. So they hired the new director of communications, uh, Tim Palmer. He just recently retired, my favorite boss ever, I'll say. And he asked me, oh, the senior pastor wants to do this brochure. He used to do a brochure for his fall sermon series. I said, sure, I'll try it. So we did that. He loved it. And then it was like, okay, well, do you want to work on the newsletter? I said, all right, let's do the newsletter. And so it sort of just snowballed from there, went from just doing the bulletins to bulletins and brochures, then newsletter. Then the newsletter turned into a magazine. The first one we did was a 32-pager, written by him, designed by me. And then we moved from there. And and projects just sort of kept coming up. And so I was skeptical, like, okay, I'm only going to be here for a little while. But mm-hmm. things just kept happening And the project, I was like, oh, I'll take that project. Oh, that sounds interesting. And I just kept taking projects. And eventually, like three years later, I'm still here. And I freelanced with them for three years. And I was freelancing with other people. Like during that time, I freelanced with a private equity firm called PrivCap. And they were doing sort of private equity reports. Mm -hmm. And so a designer had already designed the magazine. And so I was tasked with producing that. But then they would do these sort of digital... I don't know, two or four or five page uh, reports. And so I designed those. And so during the church work, I was also doing private equity work, which was a little bit dry, but the designs were a little bit more exciting because they had <laughs> they had to make the design exciting so that the, <laughs> the content didn't feel so dry.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I never intended for this to be a long-term job. It was supposed to tie me over to my wonderful... Design firm job that was going to come along. <laughs> I'd be, <laughs> I'd be working at an amazing design firm, but it just kept growing, and the opportunities just kept coming. And then eventually, they asked me to come on full time, and I was like, "Well, I don't know. I was still skeptical. Like, I don't know if I want to work for a church full time. Maybe I'll just come three quarter time. So mm-hmm. I'll give y'all a set couple of days. We'll do that. And so I did that for a year, and then eventually, the job just became so big. We started doing banners, and we we're doing exhibits. It just became so big. They sort of made a position there was no position in place for a designer and so the position that they made was called a communications associate and so that's what I was when I finally came on full time Mm -hmm. but technically I was a designer and so eventually we started doing more work and more exciting work different things started getting a little bit more creative freedom because once you build sort of trust with people I was able to do more I was able to able to be more creative and suggest more. And when you get that trust, you're they you know people trust you to take them further than maybe their mind can take them creatively. Mm-hmm. So that's how it grew. And so yeah, the the answer to that is yes. I was very skeptical, and no, I did not want to work for a church. <laughs> I'll just say that outright because it was not it's not something that has you know cachet
2: <laughs> when you say mm, it. Yeah. <laughs>
1: In a space, right? I work at a church, you know? So that was hard for that for a while for me.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I don't, I don't want to believe that it's ego, but it probably was ego. <laughs> so. Well, you
0: know, it's, it's something that we've, you know, we've talked about on the show before as well. You know, like I've talked to designers, maybe that don't live in a big city or mm-hmm. that do work for like an insurance company or something like that. <laughs> like the work that they do is not the flashy stuff that you'll see in design media or that might win big awards or stuff like that. But like when you think about the fact that everything that we interact with as humans has been through some lens of design, that -hmm. means that you're still designing for experiences that everyone needs. You know, everyone Mm -hmm. can't work at a software company. Everyone can't work at Apple or, or wherever and do, you know, kind of mind blowing design work. Some people, have to work at an insurance place or a healthcare brand or something like that. That may not be quote unquote sexy work, but the thing is that's stuff that people still use all the time. And those need to be thoughtfully designed experiences as well.
1: Right. You can't, I mean, you have to design for the people you have to design for someone other than yourself.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And I think that makes you a better designer because your focus can't be just making it sexy, which is fun, right? (laughs) But it has to be like people have to be able to engage with whatever you make and be comfortable doing it. Like, and when I would want to say, I I guess it's more of like legibility and readability, right? Like, so they have to be able to read the content because it's content they need to consume, Mm -hmm. right? Something sexy, you can just enjoy it for the sexiness. Even if you don't get it, even if you don't get it at all, you can just enjoy it. And that's, and those are fun projects to do, don't get me wrong. But when you have to design with that sort of thoughtfulness, it brings a certain level of compassion to your work that I think you can miss when it's just all about the sexy. Mm
0: -hmm. Now you've been, like I said, working at the church now for almost 14 years. When you look back over the span of your career from like when you started to now, Mm -hmm. how would you say that you've evolved as a creative?
1: I feel like my evolution has been Yes, technical, because I think when you do anything for a long period of time, you're obviously you're going to you should get better, right? <laughs> I don't want to say you obviously get better because some people don't, but you should get better. And I feel like I've gotten better, I've gotten faster, and I've become a much more I feel like compassionate designer and not in like the sort of sappy way, but just like understanding that people are coming here for a reason. And that reason is not always the reason you set out to design, right? Sometimes it's just like, they just need this content for whatever they needed for for their lives, right? Like, yes, you want to do your best work, but your best work can't be the best work unless you have that person in mind mm-hmm. from beginning to end. And I don't think in the beginning, I didn't know anything about that. I didn't approach my work thinking about how a person would feel when they opened it, like on a more high level, like, yes, will they like it? Will they think it's pretty fine, but like, is it thoughtfully done so that they don't have to work harder to get what they need? Mm -hmm. I think that evolution for me has been the biggest and it has been the most rewarding thing to do. Like, how do I think about these projects through the lens of who's going to consume it at the end? And how they're going to consume it, that's one thing about working with one community for such a long time, is that you can really get to know the people and know what it is they're looking for when they're picking up a material or when they're picking up a magazine, when they're mm-hmm. picking up, you know, because we also do the, um, the pledge campaign for sure, which is every year the church has a pledge drive to fund the church. And so we have to, it's, it's an ask, it's, a, it's basically an ask for money to help us to continue to move forward the vision of the church. And so presenting those materials in a way that is sort of respectfully and thoughtfully done so that people feel connected to the institution, but also are able to get from the piece the value that they bring by Giving, you know, by giving their money, I think is, is hard to do. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a tricky ask. And when you're designing materials for that, you really have to be careful about how you're asking, why, why you're asking. And that, you know, has a lot to do with the content and the words, but also like what images we're going to show. How are we going to connect the feeling of church to this ask for money? That's a hard thing to do.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so I think the, my favorite piece that we did was, it was a few years back now, maybe 2018, 2019. I did some hand sketches of all like the favorite things that people always mention about the church.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And then some not so <laughs> some not some not so not favorite, but some sort of mundane things that people it's like, you know, your money doesn't just pay for like this beautiful. I did a sketch of the organ um, and of the um, the rose window, which is part of the architecture mm-hmm. of the church. It's like, yes, we paid, we pay to maintain this, but also we pay for hymnals. <laughs> We pay for palms on Sunday so you can wave them for Palm Sunday. And so just connecting those sort of cherished cherished things with the more nuts and bolts of the church is, is hard to do. And I think if you approach it through a lens of compassion, you can get it done. But I don't think you can make those connections if you don't know a community and approach that community and your work with them. Through compassion, really like understand what it is that they love and how you can present it in a way that makes sense to them.
0: Mm-hmm. What are like some some pieces of advice that you've gotten like throughout your career, throughout your life that you find yourself coming back to?
1: I feel like I don't know that I've gotten advice on my career, but I feel like I've gotten advice on life. And it works for your career. Mm -hmm. And that is just like, go where they love you. And I don't want that to come off like, go where, you know, you don't get any pushback or any flack or anything like that. But just like, go where you are valued and they see your value and they believe in your value. And then you can, in turn, produce things that are valuable for that community. I think it's a give and take. You can't just go somewhere because of the money or because, you know, it's looks good or for the cachet or because it looks good on your resume. I think that the most valuable advice I've been given is like, go where you're treated well and you can do work that's meaningful and to you and hopefully to others.
0: What's something that you kind of are still working on unlearning?
1: I feel like I'm working on unlearning this idea of a charted path. Like, I feel like everyone wants the charted path. Like, everyone wants that. I go to school, I get the beginner job, then I get this rock star job, and then I make a lot of money, and then, and then I retire, right? I feel like that's the path. Whatever your thing is, fine. But what I'm still trying to unlearn, I'm still trying to unlearn that, right? Like, I'm still trying to be okay with my career path, which is not, a sexy career path, but it's been really rewarding. And so I'm trying to unlearn thinking of my career in terms of what other people think is valid and trying to think of it more along the lines of what do I think is valid and what can I do to grow myself, regardless of where that may be?
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Because I think you can grow anywhere. It's just up to you. I don't think the space determines if you grow or not. I think you and what you bring to it determine what you grow or not. And I'm still, I'm still learning that.
0: Where do you see yourself like in the next five years? Like to that point, like, where do you see yourself growing into?
1: I feel like nonprofit is just my calling, even though I didn't ask for it. (laughs) I feel like, I feel like, and when I say nonprofit, I don't, it doesn't have to be like a small nonprofit. Like I feel like maybe museum work or work where, I'm helping to broaden the minds of people. I don't see myself going in a commercial direction. And maybe that's how I can speak about this better is that I know where I don't see myself. I don't see myself like going to work for like Pepsi or Coca-Cola or like a big commercial brand. I don't see that for myself. But I do see more of a sort of philanthropical or dot orgs sort of path for me because I just feel like it's been rewarding up until this point. And so at this point in the game, I'm looking for rewarding work. And I feel like that has been very rewarding for me. And it's, it's also been very free. I don't feel like you can get I me. Mean, I can be wrong. I don't feel like you can get as much freedom working for those big organizations as you can with small nonprofits or even a little bit larger of a nonprofit. Like, I just feel like they're more willing to take a chance on your creativity mm. than global established brands
0: are. That is very much true. Mm. It's very much true because oftentimes, especially with these larger companies, they don't value w- what I would, I would consider what you're doing is like, you're kind of a generalist. Like, yes, you work as a designer, but you're not mm-hmm. just doing one specific type of design. Mm-hmm. Like your work is right. spanning yeah. print and media and visual, etc. Whereas if you're in a larger company, you're kind of just slotted into doing one thing and you have to do that one thing. You can't right. really branch out if you want to, even if you have those skills, you're not allowed to kind of do that within that one position.
1: Right. There's a designer who does this. They do this thing and that's all they do. Mm-hmm. Right. That I would die slowly <laughs> if, I <had> to, <laughs> if I had to do that every day. And the exciting thing about working for, a church is that I can go in one day. I'll be working on banners. The next day, like right now, we are working on that exhibit project that I I mentioned earlier, and we're visiting other congregations and figuring out how they do stuff. And so we're doing field trips. And so you know, every day is sort of different. And I didn't know that I wanted that until I did it, and I was like, this is amazing. Every day is something different. Like today we work on this. Tomorrow we'll be working on that. The summer is pretty busy for us. We'll be working on a bunch of fall projects and it's all different. It's, and some people work in these amazing design firms and they're doing one thing every day. It's the same. And I just, I can't, my soul won't, my
0: soul won't allow it.
1: (laughs) I would be restless and miserable. I think.
0: Well, just to kind of wrap things up here, where can our audience find out more information about you and about your work? Where can they find that information online?
1: My website, com. I'm on LinkedIn. I am on social media at Sheen's Fix on Instagram. I'm on Facebook, Vashina Brisbane. But I don't, I mean, Instagram and Facebook, I'm not a big social media. So if you're looking for me there, you're not going to see much. But my website has, you know, some
0: work that I've done. Yeah, we had this big conversation <laughs> for people that are listening. <laughs> we had this big conversation earlier about kind of social media and being on, which, you know, that's a whole other thing, but I, I completely understand yeah. that. But yeah. Vashina Brisbane, thank you so, so much for coming on the show. One, just thank you for the, the breadth of work that you're doing through the church. I think it is, it is amazing and powerful and impactful to see. Someone doing this work, particularly a black woman doing this Thank work. You. Like it, it really means a lot. I mean, to me, it means a lot, but I think it means a lot, of course, to the community that you're Thank doing you. this type of work and to be a creative problem solver and to do this kind of thing in a space that perhaps design is not necessarily looked at or considered mm-hmm. or valued in a, in a really impactful way. I think mm-hmm. it really means a lot. And I'm, I'm super excited to see where you go from here. You've been doing great work. You've been recognized. You've been awarded. So clearly other people see that too. And my hope is that through this show, many others can kind of see the work that you've done thus far. So thank, thank you, so, you much. so much. Yeah. Thank, thank you so much you. for coming on the show. I appreciate it.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me. And thank you for doing what you're doing here for the community and for <laughs> Uh, Our community specifically, it's needed. And when I found the podcast, I was so excited (laughs) that (laughs) that it even existed because I had been asking myself, like, where are all the Black designers? And now I I can connect with people and, you know, you can meet them and it's just and you can hear from them and hear their stories and, you know, to make for a more well-rounded experience. And it's invaluable. So please
0: keep doing it. Big, big thanks to Vashina Brisbane. And of course, thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about Vishina and her work through the links in the show notes at revisionpath.com. Revision Path is supported by Brevity & Wit. Brevity & Wit is a strategy and design firm committed to designing a more inclusive and equitable world. They are always looking to expand their roster of freelance design consultants in the U.S., particularly brand strategists, copywriters, graphic designers, and web developers. If you know how to deliver excellent creative work reliably and enjoy the autonomy of a virtual-based freelance life with no non-competes, check them out at brevityandwit.com. Brevity and Wit, creative excellence without the grind. Revision Path is brought to you by Lunch, a multidisciplinary creative studio located in Atlanta, Georgia. Our executive producer is Maurice Cherry, and our editor and audio engineer is RJ Basilio. Intro voiceover is by Music Man Dre, with intro and outro music by Yellow Speaker. Transcripts are courtesy of Brevity and Width. If you like this episode, please let us know. We're on Instagram and on Twitter slash X. I It's going to take a while for me to cross over to that. I'm still calling it Twitter. But anyway, we're on Instagram and we're on Twitter. Uh, Just search for Revision Path, all one word. Or you could follow us on Spotify. We're on Amazon Music. You can leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Or you can leave us a voicemail message on our hotline at 626-603-0310. As always, thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.